Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Organizing that, you'll know, probably earlier than most people will know. Amen. First Corinthians chapter number one. And we're going to start with verse number 18 and have several verses of scripture here to read today in the house of the Lord. Thank you for being here. Amen. I know several are out for various reasons. And so it's so vitally important that you're here. Amen. This morning, we're grateful for that. Amen. Your attendance in the house of the Lord. Verse number 18, starting 1 Corinthians 1, verse number 18. And I'll probably read through uh, perhaps through the end of the chapter. Paul, so Paul says, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness but unto us which are saved it is the power of God for it is written I will destroy the wisdom of the wise will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent where is the wise where is the scribe where is the disputer of this world have not God made foolish the wisdom of this world for after that in the wisdom of God the world by wisdom knew not God it pleased God by the foolishness, foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jew require a sign that the Gentiles seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. The weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see in your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not, mighty, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. The base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto, unto us wisdom, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. This morning, let him glory in the Lord. Amen. For a little while this morning, I would like to consider the principle of the cross today. The principle of the cross today. It may be a rudimentary element of our faith, but it's important that we go every once in a while back to those things, those foundational things, and consider them again. If we can pray one more time in this place, Father, I come to you today, appreciative, Lord, of your mercy and your grace. Pray, O oh Lord, you would help us today to lean in, Lord Jesus, to your word. God, your word, God, wherein, Lord Jesus, is life. You told your disciples. We can live by it, Lord, and I want to do just that today, to live by your holy book, the word of God. Lord Jesus, the cross in its place, Lord Jesus, in my life, God, and I will thank you and I will praise you, Lord, for what you do and accomplish in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. Everybody say amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning in Jesus, Jesus' name. Amen. The cross, the cross today. You know, uh, culture today really has somewhat 
cheapened the value of the cross. Cheapened the value and the significance of the cross because in the world that we live, many years removed from the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ of Golgotha's Hill has become nothing more but just a little emblem that they wear on a shirt. Some put around their neck a piece of uh, something that has an emblem of something of time past, worn at times on a lapel or on a bumper sticker that's on a car or on the cover even of a Bible, uh, really lost its significance. It's just turned into a symbol when in reality it was a place of sacrifice. Because long before anybody could use it to represent something, it had to go through its mode of becoming a representation. It had to go through a mode of sacrifice. It was one of the most greatest events of all history. One of sacrifice that changed everything that you and I, mankind, knows in the world today. It purchased, it was the purchase price, if I could call it that, of human redemption. Jesus Christ in his suffering on the cross and the death that he had saved us from our prison of sin, saved us from captivity, amen. And so I think just a polished piece of gold or a polished piece of silver representing the cross can by no means really represent the true significance of what took place on that hill there because what took place there was very holy, it was very emotional. It was very personal. Dying in our place, as the scripture would relate to you and I, that we could live. It's a wonder to think that someone could die so that we could live. And the fact of the matter is this, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the charge was this, somebody was going to have to die. What could be accomplished of new life could not be accomplished without a death. So somebody had to die. And Christ came to the forefront and, and, and he volunteered and he would be the one. He could only be the one that would die for you and for I. And so we got to con contemplate this morning what that cross means to us. Amen. Is it more than just a little emblem? Is it more than just something that we remember? Or is it something that is still yet very valid for us in our world today? For Mary there at the foot of the cross whenever Jesus was being crucified, being his mother, it was a piercing sword. The Bible described it that cut through her heart because of the relationship that we, she had with that child. But what does the cross though mean to us this morning? And there are probably many opinions today about what the cross may mean to us. Some believe that it was totally unnecessary. Some believe that it wasn't necessary for that to happen. Some skeptics think that this whole idea and concept of sin uh, being dealt with is a delusion, that redemption is a fallacy, that we're okay in the state that we are in, that it's a less important venue looking back some 2,000 years ago. But even more so than what the cross means to me, I gotta understand what does the cross, what did it mean to the almighty God? What did the death of his only begotten son mean to him? Because the Bible says in Hebrews that it spoke better things than that of the blood of Abel. Even in the book of Genesis, it expressed the will of God that he would send forth his son to die for all mankind for redemption. And so whenever I look at 
Calvary again, I look at it with a longing heart. I look at it understanding that was my place. That was my position. Uh, I should have been the one hanging there, but with a longing eye, with a heart of gratitude, I understand it's not me, but someone came to the forefront and said, McGee, even if you said you would die, you're not pure enough. You're not blameless enough to die. But I came into the world and when always were tempted like you are, yet was without sin. And because of that, I'm the spotless lamb of God. I'm the blameless lamb of God. And whenever I die, it's gonna take care of something. It's not something that's gonna have to be done next year or the year after that and the year after that. It's not that you're gonna have to contend with your sin all over again. But when the perfect lamb of God goes to the cross and is the sacrifice, you and I, are set free as Barabbas was that day when there was a choice. The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ sets us free. Yet the Bible says in Corinthians that even in the day that Paul was writing to the Corinthian church that it was foolishness to them that perish. They had lost, if you will, the aroma of, of the cross just a few short years removed. The Amplified Bible says it like this, for the story and message of the cross is sheer absurdity and folly to those who are perishing and on their way to perdition. Paul said in another place in Scripture, he said, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to those that are lost. He said in other places of Corinthians, he says these spiritual matters concerning the cross and salvation are difficult to be perceived by the natural man and the natural eye. And so just by nature, humanity has a hard time embracing the concept and the idea of the cross, absurdity to them. It is foolishness to them. But to those of us that have been partakers of that blood, those of us that have been partakers of that life, we understand it's the power of God unto salvation. It's the power of God to redeem you and I. It is the source for every believer. A wooden cross, we would say, by itself is not going to save us. The cross, the emblem of a wooden beam and cross beam, that did nothing for us in and of itself. But it was what was placed upon that. We have attachments today. Everybody have a cross. Well, that's not where the attachment really is. It's what was placed upon the cross. It was the sacrifice that was placed upon the cross, the deed that was done upon the cross. I can hold a cross all I want to, and I can say prayers and kneel down to a cross, but that ain't no big deal. What I need to do is direct my attention to the one that was sacrificed on the cross, the one that shed blood on the cross. That cross didn't have no blood to give me. That cross didn't have no blood for the remission of my sins. You could do whatever you want to and put lacerations upon that cross it might spill some sap but it would never have any blood but the offering that was upon that cross that was a human body when you laid the whip to its back put the crown of thorn upon its heads put the pierced spear through its side it brought forth blood a redeeming blood that took care of our sin amen it was a redeeming cross he said Paul said we, we must have the preaching of the cross. I'm just joining with the voice of Paul this morning. He said if there's a message that I'm ever going to preach, I'm going to preach the message of the cross because it is a powerful truth that gives transformation to the lives of men and 
women the preaching of the cross. He told them other places, he said, I didn't come to you with, with human wisdom. I didn't come to you with the million dollar words and all the human intellect. I just come to you to preach. I'm determined, he said, to know nothing else among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And there are times that we stand behind a pulpit and we elaborate on some of the other details of the word of God and we talk about uh, maturing in the Lord and growing in the Lord and all of that is great and wonderful but we cannot go there until we've went by the way of an old rugged tree and the uh, sacrifice that was placed upon that tree. He said the cross for some it was a stumbling block he said to the Jews because the Jews had an idea of a suffering Messiah here. People are trying to tell them that's your Messiah. That's the one you're looking for. And it contradicted what they were expecting. The Jews in their mindset from the Old Testament prophecies, they believed that their Messiah was going to come in the pomp and the prestige, amen, of a world. And he was going to set all things straight. He was going to set up his kingdom and his government. He was going to give them the power that they would need. And yet it contradicted what they were expecting when Christ came in the lowly form in a manger somewhere to just a normal family, a carpenter's son. They were looking for someone very magnificent, a magnificent ruler, someone mighty, a mighty conqueror. But he came in the spirit of humility. And so it was a stumbling block to the Jews because whenever he came, it's not what they had in their minds. It was not what they were expecting to come. A man that would hang, allow himself to hang upon a tree. To them, that looked like weakness. To them, that looked like something that could never conquer, never conquer. But the story bears out true because as he come as the Lamb of God that even John the Baptist acclaimed to him, behold, here comes the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And that lamb, you have a picture, you know, you think of Mary had a little lamb, you tar, start talking about a lamb, nice little wool, and they're, they're just kind of innocent and kind of skittish. And, 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 and here's the Jews, they're seeing what they was hoping to be something powerful. And here comes a little lamb, it contradicted everything they had in their mind. It was a stumbling block to them. But I believe the truth story was all told them in Revelation chapter 5 I believe it is 4 and 5 whenever John in the vision and he's seeing this vision of heaven and he looks about and he says well there, is there anybody to open the book of the seven seals there was no one but the Bible said there was a lamb as though it had been slain but it said here came the lion and when he turned he seen a lamb I believe that brought everything together because they thought there's no power there's no might in a man that comes and dies and is of a lowly estate John John seen differently. They said, there's the line. He turned and he seen a lamb that by virtue of the death that everybody else says, that's weakness. That's no acclaim. That's no power. It ended up being the very majesty, the very power that was needed to bring his kingdom. Amen. And set his people free. There's a lot of people today, and let me tell you, you will, you will be overtaken by the voices of people in the world today saying that some of the things that you even do for the Lord, that that is nothing but a mode of weakness. That is nothing but a mode. Uh, you just need to get it together. Pull up your bootstraps, and you need to be your own person and all that stuff. There's just a bunch of weakness going to church and praying to God and all that stuff. Let me tell you, if they did it unto your master, they're going to do it unto you. But rest assured that while you're praying and while you're attending church and while you're being faithful 
to the house of God and everybody else is saying that's weakness. I'm growing stronger. I'm becoming, the Bible says, greater is he that is within me than he that is within the world. I'm more than a conqueror today. Amen, it might seem like weakness to the natural eye, but in the realm of the spirit, there is power invested in that. Power. To the Greeks, it was foolishness. It was foolishness. Because the gospel always affronted their human pride, their sinful behavior. Foolishness to them. It was foolishness to them because the Greeks took great pride in their worldly wisdom. Scholars, philosophers, worldly wisdom, self-important, if you will, and the message of the cross rejected the message of the cross, counteracted that worldly wisdom. And so the Greeks, no doubt, probably thought much of the Old Testament and what they were speaking in that day was just pure ignorance. It's foolishness. But it was a different thing for those who had been partakers of the cross. The resurrected Christ, y'all are silly. That's nonsense. That's foolishness. The Bible says in Acts 17, 32, that whenever they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked and others said, we will hear thee on this matter again. There were some that just were not convinced by the message of the cross because they couldn't get beyond their own thinking, their own philosophies, the worldly wisdom. Said, no, it cannot happen by that, but it did. Amen. The power of the cross, though, stumbling block to the Jews, foolishness to the Greeks, but to those Christians, us of that day and this day, it is the power and it is the wisdom of God. What took place there was the greatest gift of mankind. And the grand purpose of that, death as it would be, for sin. Jesus knew his own destiny. He knew what kind of suffering he would suffer. He told his disciples before it ever happened. Told them by what death he would die. Told them before it would ever happen. Evil men led Christ to the cross, but he knew it. According to the determinate counsel, the Bible says, the foreknowledge of God already had knowledge of these happenings that was going to take place. But this plan transcends, though, all wisdom. When I think about, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, God declared, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts. The apostle Paul understood the divine plan of redemption and salvation that was centered on the cross. He told the Corinthians, Christ told the Corinthian believers, he said it's both the power of God and the wisdom of God the cross is. Cross as a symbol, a symbol, early symbol, it was always a symbol of shame. It's the reason why I think it's in Galatians that the Bible said cursed is anyone that hangeth on a tree. There was a negative connotation with a cross. The cross was that chief place where criminals were executed when they had done wrong or incorrect. And so if someone said they're going to Golgotha, there's negative connotations with going to, to, to Golgotha. It was a place where someone had done wrong. It was a place where someone had acted outside of what the law prescribed. And so people hung their heads. The, the, the Golgotha, the cross, was a scorned place. It was a place that was of judgment. There was no mercy there. It was a place where someone would die uh, rightly for what they had done wrong. It was a symbol of shame, symbol of guilt, symbol of despair. The wisdom 
of the cross then is this, that Christ would take something that has the connotations of defeat, the connotations of shame, the connotations of guilt, the connotations of sin and something done wrong outside of character. And he would take his perfect self to that place where people would turn their heads and think, man, they must be a horrible person and all these things. The wisdom of the cross is that Christ would take an emblem like that known in his day and he would revolutionize it by not just dying there, but three days later, resurrecting. And the very place then that's known as death now becomes a place of life. And the very place that was known as guilt and shame now comes a place where there is a new beginning and a renewal and a possibility. The very thing that said, hey, you went against the law, you're cursed. He said over here, now you are blessed and you can walk in my precept and my ways because of what? The wisdom of God through the cross is that he took that and he revolutionized it to mean something else. Something else. That's outside of Jerusalem. That's outside of the gate. You're suffering outside of the city. But Jesus also went there, the Bible says in Hebrews. He went there that he might do what? Sanctify the people with his own blood. So he also suffered without the gate for that purpose. And so now it is a place of victory because where before you went there because of what you'd done wrong, Jesus Christ says, whenever I go there, I'm going to take the handwritings of the ordinances that were against you. You're there here on this side of on this side of Calvary. You're there. The handwritings are written against you, and that's the reason why you're placed there. On this side of Calvary, you're there because the handwritings are still there, but now they're nailed. They're nailed to the tree. On this side, you have them all there. They're listed. On this side, you're incapable of seeing them because they've been covered by the blood. That's the power of the cross. The Bible says that in the moment that Christ was crucified, that God did something, no doubt, on the behalf of that flesh that was hanging there on the tree. Because whenever that happened, you know what began to happen? There was a disarming of principalities. There was a disarming of powers. There was a rage, if you will, against those demons and devils of the Lord. Before he ascended, the Bible says when he resurrected, he descended first into the lower parts of the earth and he led captivity captive. The Bible says, says you want to talk about the wisdom of God concerning the cross, then you consider the transformation that he did with the meaning. But if you want to think about the power, someone say someone on a cross is powerless. Somebody on the cross has no ability. But whenever Christ went to the cross, he was able to go down into the lower parts of the earth and have havoc upon hell, demons and devils, principalities and powers. That's the power. And I'm telling you this morning, when you preach this thing, when you leave that th this life, amen, you enact that same power right now on a Sunday morning. There's the same power to somehow trouble the adversary because of the virtue of the cross that reaches to the highest mountain, that flows to the lowest valley. He's still, he's still working through his sacrifice, through his death. Someone say amen. amen. He took his cross to Golgotha and he then makes the plea to his disciples. 
oft times in the Gospels. Take up your cross, he says. Follow me. Take up my cross. Yeah. Take up your cross. Follow me. Take up your loneliness, your suffering, your pain. Take it all. Well, why, Lord? Because it was a death to self that brought about what came to you. He says, in order to live for me, you're going to have to have a death of your own self in order for the same to be accomplished. They didn't understand cross-bearing people in Jesus' day. They don't understand cross-bearing people in our day. Because what the cross does, the cross, if you'll take it, he'll expose every selfish desire you have in your life. The cross will. He'll expose every selfish desire that you have in our life, every erring action, erring thought. We see ourselves like we've never seen ourselves when we take upon our cross. Isaac Watts wrote these memorial words about Christ's crucifixion. He said, when I surveyed the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, he said, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. The cross. It's a place of sacrifice, a place of self-denial. Got to be willingly sometimes to sacrifice ourselves in an effort, listen to me, in an effort to please our Heavenly Father. The trouble and the, the thing in the garden of the flesh between the spirit even in Christ Jesus was, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. The flesh of Jesus still had to be willing to be sacrificed. Why? Because he even wanted to please his Heavenly Father. It's no different for us. We need to still please our Heavenly Father, and sometimes that means sacrificing some things of our flesh, some things in our lives. Amen. I, and in doing that, we're identifying ourselves with Christ. In doing that, we're, 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 not, we're not doing anything that He hasn't already done. Amen. In life. And there is no higher, there's no higher level of standard. There is no higher uh, uh, standard of service than denying yourself. I've seen sometimes over a period of time in my young life, uh, speaking of marital relationships, I find out oftentimes sometimes the problem relies, lies in the fact that one wants somebody else to do for them. They don't, they don't take out the trash for me. Uh, they don't keep the house clean and have dinner ready whenever I get home. Whenever I hear those words, what I'm hearing is somebody's self-interest about them. And where it really gets down the road is where the highest place of service is self-denial. Is that then rather than seeing what they can do for me, I flip that. And my attitude should go, what can I do for them? Well, they're not doing a lick, though, for me. I'm not going to do anything for them. They're not doing anything for me. You know, I've seen people that enter into those places where nothing's being done for them. If they'll take the high road of service and they'll serve them in spite of that and serve them in spite of that, 
through a process of time, they're won over and things start getting done for them that they desire. But they had to take the initiative to be the servant first. That's what Christ did for you and I. You didn't do anything for him. Many times after he's already served you, you still don't do anything for him. But in spite of that, you know what he does? He keeps serving. He keeps blessing, keeps holding your hand through the good times and the bad times. Keeps just expending himself for you, not getting anything in return. You know what he's doing? He's trying to win you over. One of these days, you're going to reflect back and you're going to say, man, whenever I begin to count all my blessings, think how he healed my body when I was sick. Think how he kept me from dying on the road when I had that accident. Think about what he did for my family. You know what? All of a sudden, there begins praise and thanksgiving. Start, it starts happening at that moment in time. But someone had to take the high road and be the servant first. Honey, in our walk and relationship with God, we need to take the high standard of service and be servants and the one that served us when we didn't serve him. Amen. Amen. Because on this side of the fence, this is one thing we can't say. He hasn't done anything for me. Now, if we would give him audience today and let him speak, there'd go lunch concerning what he could say about us. But he served he served when we weren't doing anything. He died. He gave you his spirit. He, you can be filled with the Holy Ghost and not reciprocate any service to the Lord after that. We got we to gotta humble ourselves, take upon that same nature and be a servant. And that means sometimes just doing it, willing to do it, have compassion to do it, be dedicated to do it. <laughs> Paul and others Jesus, when he spoke to them, he said that you, you got to take up your cross. He put in that little word there that changes everything. If he said take up your cross and follow me, that would be subjected to a lot, of, a lot of interpretation. But he said take up your cross in one portion of Scripture of the gospel. He said take it up daily. He said take it up daily. If he just said take it up, some might think, well, I'll take it up today and I'll never take it up again. He didn't say how long to keep it up. He said, just take it up. Maybe this is a one-time scenario. Well, you know, I'll pay my dues and get it over with. Or maybe I'm not going to take it up right now sometime in the future. I'll take it up. Well, he said, take it up daily and follow him. Think about, think about those early disciples that followed the Lord, just even in his earthly ministry. Think, think of him. There are times that they were exposed to miracles, and then there were other times they were exposed to storms. There were times they were right there with him among the feeding of 5,000 and their great revelation of Christ that was coming forth and everything that was taking place. But there were other times that they were wondering where the next meal is going to come from. Christ says, take it up daily. Take, 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 it, take it up daily. Someone say amen. amen. But in order to do so, what, did, what was the precursor to it? The only way you're going to really accomplish it, boys, is deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Why? Because he knew this. A person without the discipline of self-denial will never carry a cross. A person without self-denial will never carry a cross. And so Paul said in his writing, I die daily. What are you doing? How is that possible? Because I've taken up my cross daily. 
And my cross leads me to a Calvary daily. And at Calvary, there's a death that takes place daily. He says, I die daily. I die daily. The Amplified says it like this. He says, I face death at every day and I die to self. That's what Paul was saying. He said, I, I, every day I die to self every day. Not because of my self-interest. No, 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 no. Because I know it's pleasing and to the Father for this to take place. Amen. God told me whenever, Paul could say, God told me whenever I was struck down on the Damascus Road, he told me very easily that he was, he was going to show me how great things I must suffer for his name's sake. He says, I got I to gotta die daily. I'm going to labor for the Lord. I'm going to labor with everything I got. And I'm going to go through some troubles and some sufferings. And he did beatings and stonings and shipwreck. Three stripes to his own back. I don't know how much closer you could get. Amen. To the picture of Christ. Amen. Was, was taken advantage of by his own countrymen, the Bible says. He was cold often. He was in nakedness often. He had the care of all the churches that was upon him often. Let me pause here for a moment. Let me pause for a moment. And that's this. I'm a firm believer that some of the things that we go through in life are nothing more but a means that helps keep the flesh crucified. Amen. If I could state it like this, it's the spike that pierces the flesh. Some of the things that we face. Some, some of the things, Brother Michael, we go through, it's, it, it's, it's the hammer that's making contact with the spike that's piercing the flesh, that's tethering us to the cross. And so if I say remove it, there's no spikes holding me to a tree. There's nothing affixing me to that place where I need and ought to die. But as long as there's some trouble that comes by my way, sometimes more often than others. But what it's trying to do, Brother Terry, is helping me stay in a daily means of being affixed to the cross and surrenders me to self-denial. I know over the period of years, Bishop, whenever he was pastor, people sometimes would approach me. I don't know just why everything is just always tops of turvy. I don't know why everything's just, everything, everything bad happens to me. And the reason why some of that is, is because some people can't just get on the cross through self-denial. They got to have a little help with the spike and they have a little help with the hammer. And God sends those things. Really, it's not for our bad. It's for our benefit because it's keeping our flesh where our flesh needs to be. Amen keeping the old man where the old man needs to be in a place of self-denial. Amen. And so cross-bearing, if we consider it in the cross and for our own personal life, it is an individual matter. It's an individual matter. You've got to decide for yourself. I can't bear your cross and you can't bear mine. Nor would I want to bear 70 crosses. <laughs> Hallelujah. Mine's enough. But you can't bear mine and I can't bear yours. It's personal. It's a costly decision. Amen. Because I can't live for Christ for you. I know Old Testament, you know, the way that things were ordered, the high priest went in. He was there for all the people. Day of Atonement, what he did, everything he did, it was for all the people. Well, that high priestly role is no longer that Jesus Christ fulfilled that. He called us that we are kings and priests. And so this is a very personal thing now. It's a costly decision that you must make yourself. I can't go in before the Lord for you. 
I can't pray in the stead of you or as a substitute for your prayers. Someone say glory. And so through the scripture, the history of the church from time to time, the apostles, many pages we see they're stained with blood, so to speak. Severe punishment, persecution, believers that faced imprisonment, martyrdom even. Sometimes crosses are long term, sometimes they are very heavy. Paul said that if we suffer with Christ, we'll also be glorified with Christ. And he said, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed at that day, at that time. Not going to be worthy to be compared to. So the suffering that I go through now is very minuscule and small compared to the greater weight of glory that we will receive on that day. Don't get stumped up by just living in the now. Amen. Don't get stumped up by just living in the now. If all this earth has to provide is all that you're consumed with, that life, that life equates to, don't get stumped up by that. There is life after this life. Amen. I think sometimes we get down in the mouth and overburdened sometimes because we just live in the now and we don't look any further than that. We don't see any further than that. And so it's all this that's going on right now. Honey, there's something beyond now. There's something beyond the grave. And whenever I look at that, it brings encouragement to my spirit, encouragement to my soul. Amen. The Bible says that Jesus, for that which was set before him, he endured the cross. He endured the shame, not for what was happening at Calvary, but because on the backside of Calvary, he knew that there was something that was much greater and much wonderful, more wonderful than what was happening right now in the present. Ladies and gentlemen, don't get burdened down with what's happening right now. If you look at right now, you'll be burdened down. You're ready to give up and throw in the towel, but you gotta look beyond today. You gotta look into that place beyond the grave, and whenever you consider that, it's gonna help give you the strength and the fortitude to pour through what you are doing right now today. Don't get tunnel vision. You need to look to the author and the finisher of your faith. Amen. Cross provided blood being shed. The Bible says it's the precious, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That precious blood did what nothing else in this world could do. Though there was blood in the earth within the bodies of other individuals, this blood did what no other blood could do. It was the only blood that would have been acceptable in heaven. The only blood that would have been acceptable in heaven. The old Mosaic law tells us that the law could not do what the law could not do with its ceremonies and with its sacrifices and its blood of bull, the Bible says in Hebrews, and of goats, what they failed to do, Christ succeeded in doing with his blood. It's not a temporary sacrifice. I don't have to keep a constant herd so that I'll have one for next year. It was a permanent, permanent sacrifice. Bulls, goats, all these things were just a mere shadow the redemptive work of Christ Jesus. The work of the priest of the Old Testament was never done. 
because he'd always have to do it again the next year. But Hebrews tells us whenever Christ entered in there, he entered in there once. He entered there once. He was both the offering and the offering. He was the offering and the offerer, and he was the one being appeased by what was happening. And whenever he went in there the only time and offered up his own blood as the offering, he meant it was a sad, permanent, done deal. He meant no longer, no longer would there have to be anything offered for the heirs of the people. Because the blood of goats and rams and all that could never permanently remove the guilty stain of sins of humanity. But again, the Bible says, but this man, speaking of Christ Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Redemption was paid. His blood. His blood didn't just cleanse us, take care of the sin issue, the Bible speaks to us that his blood paid the price. It was the purchase price. In the Old Testament, God said that all the firstborn belong to me. They're mine. As a matter of fact, whenever the firstborn males came before uh, the tabernacle, they had to render the proper amount of shekels that was for the redemption of a soul. In order for them to be redeemed for the Lord. The person needing the redemption would offer the, the proper amount of shekels in order to receive the redemption of their person in the eyes of God. Sometimes silver shekels, other times gold. Silver and gold it was that they were, that they were trading off for redemption. That's Old Testament. But in the New Testament, the Bible speaks of his church that has been purchased by the blood. I believe it was Peter that said that we have not been redeemed by corruptible things such as silver and gold. He was alluding to that Old Testament thing that they would do in order to get redemption, the trading off of shekels of silver or gold for redemption. He said, we were not, we were not redeemed with corruptible. What is that? That's, that's defiled. That, that's unworthy things such as silver and gold. But we've been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The payment price then, silver and gold, but the payment price today is his blood. And in order for there to be blood, there must be a spotless lamb. And in order for there to be a spotless lamb, do you understand? Do you understand? I, I, I am always, and I don't care how long I'm in church, this always just totally baffles my mind. That the, the story of the Bible that we can start in Genesis with Adam and Eve and they would transgress and they would commit sin and that would put sin then upon all of humanity and as a result of that every child born from there on out is born into the Adamic nature of sin and so we have a problem on our hand because the desire of God from the very garden was half fellowship with man come down and talk to them in the cool of the garden he wanted a relationship with mankind and transgression trespass caused a separation between God and man but from the very beginning of time whenever that happened God says I'm already putting together a plan whereby I can get back into fellowship or man can get back in fellowship with me revelation calls the lamb of God the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world Calvary didn't take place back there but in the mind of God it was already in his spirit to will that it would 
Whenever I begin to consider that then, how he would set them up in the Old Testament, get used to having to have sacrifices for the place of taking care, he got them used to the idea that it took a substitute sacrifice in blood in order to take care of their sin so that in the New Testament they would readily perhaps accept the idea that God so loved the world that he would give his only begotten. God didn't delegate to anybody else. He came himself. He didn't delegate it to anybody else. That Jesus Christ, that flesh was made of a woman. Yes, according to Galatians 4.4, it was made of a woman, but God was in that man. Woo! God was in that man. That invisible God, that God that no man has seen at any time was inside that man. That God that's invisible and being a spirit invisible, not having flesh, not having blood, got inside of a man that has flesh, that has blood, that has the agent. He has the purchase price for humanity. God says, we're going to have to change things up here for this thing to be done. It's going to have to take blood, but I'm a spirit. I'm invisible. No man has seen God at any time. But if I can make myself a body and I can inhabit that body, there's going to be flesh there. There's going to be blood there. Hallelujah. And I'm going to go to a tree as a sacrifice. I've already set them up for that in the Old Testament. I'm going to go as a sacrifice. And the blood of Jesus Christ is the purchase price for you and I and the church. All the way back in Genesis, God had that in mind. So don't cheapen the cross as some emblem. This has been on the mind of God from the beginning of creation. Amen. Is everybody doing okay? I got. I need to close it down, don't I? Without the shedding blood, there is no remission. There is no washing away, no removal. That's what remission basically means, removal, washing away of sins. There is none without blood. Calvary provided, the work of Calvary, the sacrifice, provided the blood, the agent that could do the washing away. If you haven't had a Calvary in your life, you are dead in your sins. Washing away by the blood. For modern day, sacrifice already been done. The blood's already been shed. It still flows, so to speak. But Brother McGee, that should be good. That Terminology is today, just believe upon the Lord and thank Him for Calvary and you're good. I've preached it before, but I feel like preaching again this morning. Calvary, the body, the whipping, crown of thorns, the piercing, all that, what that done was made the blood accessible. Someone hearing me? Just like in the Old Testament, the killing of a lamb for Passover, uh the sacrifice of a lamb made the blood of that lamb accessible. Otherwise, it was contained and retained in that body in the veins of that lamb. 
But through the sacrifice and the killing of it, it gave forth. There was accessibility to the blood. Listen to me very closely now, though. In order for the death angel to pass on by and not to take the firstborn of the Israelites in Exodus 12 and 13, what was the responsibility of those Israelites? Take the blood that was made accessible by the death of the lamb and put it on the lintel on the door. Calvary has made the blood accessible. Nobody can say we don't have access though to that. Every single person living upon this earth has access, but it's our responsibility for the application. Oh yeah, affording ourselves of that blood that's been made accessible by Calvary Street. There could have been there could have been family on Passover Day. Man, we're we're going to follow the law. We're getting the lamb without blemish. We're going to kill it. We're going to eat the meat. We're going to do all that. Do all of that and have blood in a basin and never applied it to the lintel and doorpost. Although they sacrificed the lamb, they ate of the lamb, and although they did everything except applying the blood, and still their firstborn would have died. Because the safety of the firstborn wasn't just predicated upon the death of the lamb or the eating of the lamb, but it was also for the application of the blood. And so salvation for the New Testament church is not just predicated upon the death of Jesus Christ or the work of Jesus Christ on Calvary. It still takes the application of us, the application of the blood to our lives, to our lives. Baptism in Jesus' name. The filling up, do we still need an application? Because if not could still be very much so in jeopardy if we don't take that which has been made accessible and apply it. Stand with me this morning. I'll close. I'll close. If we bow our heads in this service this morning. Oh, the cross of Jesus. Oh, the cross of Jesus. Oh, I do not, I do not, I do not. I do not want to cheapen. I do not want to lighten the importance of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. We could take a topic on several things, other matters and others' importance. But there is a grand, grand importance. It may seem like in the modern day world, these are small hinges. But as the old saying says, great doors operate on small hinges. And the cross is one of those. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The act of what took place there. And we need to afford ourselves of the opportunity. Afford ourselves of the, the blood that's been made accessible by that act. We can have salvation. We can have deliverance. We can take up our own cross daily. We can deny ourselves and follow him. Why? Because I want to be pleasing. I want to be pleasing unto the Lord just as Christ was pleasing. Amen. In his day and his hour. Oh, if we can just begin to talk to the Lord right now. Amen. All across this. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.